Good morning. Everyone who's joining us online and uh, any guests or visitors that are joining us today, just good morning. It's good that you're here, good that we can sing together, that we can just listen to God's word, uh, to learn about him and just to spend time with him. Now, now if you haven't seen in the newsletter or online or on social media, uh, we are going through the book of Galatians again. Myself and the Mile One Mission boys over the next few months, we're going to preach between, uh, not between, we're going to preach all of Galatians. Uh, and so, yeah, back in 2019, if you didn't attend Calvary, um, or if you haven't seen any of the sermons online, our very own Daniel McKelvey actually preached through Galatians. I don't know where you are, Daniel. I, I'm sure you're here. There you are. Um, and honestly, if you get a chance, go back and look at them. Go back and listen to the sermons. He did a fantastic job preaching through Galatians. Um, but we're going through it again. We're going to go through Galatians one more time because the message of Galatians is so, so important. And so today I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to read the first five verses of Galatians. That's it, just the introduction. Because if we don't get the first five verses right, if we don't grasp what Paul is saying about the gospel in the first five verses, then we're going to get the whole book wrong. Right? We're going to get the whole book wrong. But first, let's define the gospel. Actually, let's let Paul define the gospel. We'll come back to this verse a bit later on, but look at verse 4. This is what Paul says is the gospel. He says, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Right? That's what Paul says the gospel is in Galatians. Right? In other words, your salvation is because of Christ and Christ alone. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. It's all about Jesus. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Jesus rescued us from our sins. It's all about Jesus, right? Your salvation, like I just said, your salvation, my salvation, our salvation, everyone else who puts their faith in Christ is all because of Christ. It's all about Jesus. In fact, your understanding of this, your understanding of this and your acceptance of this fact will largely determine where you spend your eternity. But first, I want to tell you something that happened to me back in 1997, before we even get into the text. I want to tell you a little story. Man, what I'm about to tell you ranks in the top three of the most stupid and reckless things I have ever done in my 39 years of life. So I don't know if anyone has ever, has ever gone ice fishing before, all right? But there's one thing you got to know about ice fishing. Before you even step foot on the ice, the ice has to be a certain, well, thickness. It's got to be so deep, right? Because, you know, for your safety, you don't want to fall in and, you know, potentially die. And so back in 97, in the city that I was living in, the city would put up signs all along the river. They would put up signs and they would take out advertisements in the newspaper when people actually you know, read physical newspapers. And they even had, uh, you know, segments on the evening news saying, don't go on the ice. Don't go on the ice until X date. And that's because, you know, you wanted the, the cold temperatures to freeze up the water and make it, you know, safe enough for people to walk on. And for the most part, everyone listened. Everyone listened because no one wants to drown. And then at some point, the city or the, or the, the, the municipal government gives the A-OK -okay for people to go out and enjoy the frozen water. And so one day in 97, my buddy and I were sat down in his living room and we were just 
talking and just enjoying, you know, being alive. And we realized we had forgotten that we needed to be at another part in the city. And so we got to talking about how do we get from point A to point B, or whether we can make it or not. And the idea got floated, hey, why don't we walk down onto the river and take a shortcut and get to our destination quicker than what we would have if we had gone the, the long way. And so we did what any 17-year-old would have done. We went onto the ice. And even now, as I still think about this, I still get a, nut, uh, a, a knot in my guts about what we had decided that day, and here's why. Because in 1995, I lost someone close to me. In 95, uh, a friend of mine was on the Ottawa River, where, uh, where I was living, and he, he and a bunch of his friends hit a thin patch of ice, and they went under. He tragically lost his life. And so as we're, 1997, as we're walking on the ice, the memory is still extremely fresh in my mind. I mean, understandably, right? But, you know, I fought through what had happened. I, I reckon that, you know, I would get from point A to point B safely. And so as we're walking, we're following the trail from where all the trucks drive, right? We're walking past ice huts, and we come to a point in the trail where there are no more tracks. Like we're walking, and I can, I can still look down and see in my mind nothing. Nothing but just white, frozen, ice-covered water. And like I'm talking, we've walked an hour to get to this point, And we're like 200 feet from shore. And it was freezing, it was quiet, it was just, there was nothing but untouched, uncharted snow as far as the eyes could see. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in that moment, we had a choice. We could backtrack and, and lose more time and, you know, take the long way, or we could risk and cut across the, the frozen ice, uh, walking 200 feet on this uncharted, untouched snow. And so we did what any 17-year-old would have done. And I see some of the uh, teenagers laughing at this. We walked across the ice. Every step I took was a step of complete stupidity. <laughs> it was, is that even a word, stupidity? Stupidity, that's the right word, yeah. And recklessness. <laughs> Praise God, nothing happened. I am still here to this day. But in a bigger sense, this is what Galatians is all about. It's about a group of churches who knew the truth. They knew the dangers before them, and they picked to go opposite of the truth. Instead of trusting in the solid ground that they were walking on, they wandered out onto the frozen, thin ice. So yes, when you read Galatians, it is hard-hitting. It's hard-hitting for reasons, because I might say for the Galatians, actually, for the Galatians, and even for us, your soul is in danger. It's that clear cut. Your soul is on the line. You are one step away from going under the ice. All that's between you and death is a thin sheet of groaning ice. And so you can see why Paul would be frustrated when he writes to the Galatians. And normally, like when you read other uh, letters that Paul had written, at this point, he was all happy and praising and, and just rejoicing in how well a church was doing. You see this in Ephesians and Philippians, but like here he's ticked off. He is upset with the Galatian churches. I mean, this is a guy, don't forget this. This is a guy who preached for 12 hours straight. He preached a guy to death, right? When you read in Acts, he preached so long, but he fell asleep, 
fell out the window, he went down, was resurrected again, but that's a whole other story, right? <laughs> but when you look at Galatians, especially in chapter 3, he calls the Galatians foolish, foolish, you foolish Galatians. But even just, just look a bit past verse 5 and verse 6, he's astonished that the Galatians would so quickly abandon what he was, or what they were taught. Like, this is serious stuff here. He is really, really ticked off. But Paul's agitation here, as, as one commentator reminds us, it's not like the anger of some oppressive master who's out to verbally abuse his workers. No, rather, Paul is like a distressed parent. Now listen to this. Paul is like a distressed parent who cries out to stop a meandering child from heading out into a busy street, knowing that the child's life is in great peril. In the case of Galatians, however, the dangers are far greater than physical harm or even death. The stakes are higher, apostasy and consequently eternal damnation. In fact, if anything, look at Paul's frustration like that of a parent who's desperately pleading for the children to stop playing in the busy street. But don't lose sight of this. Paul is writing to some newer churches in the Roman province of Galatia. And when I say Roman, I want us, I want us to, to think about, and, and I want to stress that the, the Roman people really valued uh, doing things with their hands. They were a culture that loved the feeling of accomplishment. Their value was in what they could do. Whether it was in building you know, amazing architecture, the pantheon, uh, the temple to Jupiter or whatever, or even following a set of rules to appease the gods. They valued what they could do. And it's this mindset that Paul is writing when he's calling out the Galatians, especially as we'll see when it pertains to the gospel, right? As we'll see later on, Paul knew full well the dangers that came with believing in this type of system. A system that says in order to be right with God, you've got to do A, B, and C, but just because this letter was written 2,000 years ago doesn't mean that we get to check out here in 2021. Sadly, for many of us and for many people out there, we can be like the Galatian church. Now, we may not sprinkle uh, you know, sacrifices to Caesar or, or build little shrines in our living rooms or anything like that. But believe me when I say this, at some point or another, we've all felt the allure of adding our A, B, and C to the finished work of Christ. We've all felt that allure. I have. Whether it's, look, God, look how much money I've tithed. Or, look, God, my mom and dad are Christians. Surely that's enough, right? Or, look, God, I'm a good person. I've never murdered someone. Or, <laughs> that's an extreme example. Or, look, God, look at how I serve the church. I do more than anyone else. We've all done it. And so if there's anything I want you to leave with today is knowing this. You will never, ever, ever find salvation, grace, and peace outside of Jesus Christ. Ever. Not in your heritage, or your bank account, or your family, or your church, or your education, and certainly not, as the Galatian church has learned, by following a set of rules. And I'm going to say this time and time again, because your salvation is in Christ, and Christ alone, and that's it. And so as we work through Galatians 1, verses 1 to 5, I've got three points that we're going to work through. I'm going to do this a bit different. I'm not going to go, you know, 1 and then 2 and then 3 and then 4. I'm going to actually start at the bottom of the text. So it's going to go like this. Point 1, all right? The gospel brings life. That's verse 4 and 5. That's my first point. The gospel brings life. And then I'm going to jump up to verse 3. 
and I'm going to show us how the gospel brings peace. That's point two. The gospel brings peace. And then we're going to finish up in verse one. The gospel is true. That's point three. The gospel is true. So here we go. Point one. The gospel brings life. Look at verse four with me. This is what Paul says. He gave himself, that's Jesus, for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. You know, as, as I prepared for today, I kept coming back to 1995 when my friend tragically died. But what I didn't tell you is that he willingly jumped into the river after his friends. In fact, he was awarded posthumously, I think I said that right, uh, the Canadian Medal of Bravery from the Governor General. You see, in his death, he was honored as a hero for saving three other people. And if you think about this, if, if you've ever lost uh, or experienced the death of someone who was recognized as a hero or they saved someone after the fact, the ripple-down effect of my friend's death, at least, is kind of mind-blowing, right? Because he lived, no, sorry, because he died, they lived. Because he died, they lived. Because he died, they will experience many blessings that he will not. But his death will always serve as a reminder to his friends of the sacrifice that he gave on that fateful day. It will remind them of his dedication to them, that he put his life before theirs. And as I prepared, I couldn't help but think of Jesus, of what Jesus said. No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. I mean, my friend sacrificed himself so that others could live. Is that not what Christ did? Is that not the gospel? But here's the difference. Unlike my friend who put his life in the line and probably really, 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 really wrestled with jumping in, for Christ it wasn't even a second thought. Like his eyes were set on that cross. His eyes were set on Golgotha. As Luke described it, his, his eyes were like a flint because he knew that countless millions of lives and souls depended on him, even if they didn't know it. Because he knew that in his death, life would come. This is why Paul was so quick to remind the Galatians that Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. You know, there's this show on TV called The Walking Dead. It's all about zombies. It's really just mindless, but whatever, okay? Whatever. But the title is really, really interesting. The Walking Dead. But The Walking Dead isn't who you think it is in the show. It's not the, the, the mindless zombies walking around. I mean, they are literally in the show The Walking Dead, but they are not The Walking Dead in the show. It's actually the humans that are walking around. They are the walking dead. They're dead and they don't even know it. But maybe in a deeper sense, maybe in a deeper sense, how true is this for the countless millions of people who don't know Christ? Because for them, they are truly and utterly dead. There's no hope outside of Christ. No purpose, no identity, just death. But I don't just say that for them. That's the crazy part. I often wonder how many people inside the church are truly and utterly dead on the inside. I mean, listen to what Paul says when he wrote to the Ephesians. 
So what he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. Now listen, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, but God. Two of the most beautiful words in the entire New Testament, in fact, the Bible, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace, quite literally, all right, quite literally, those outside of Christ are the walking dead. Those who are dead in their sins are dead according to the ruler of the power of the air. That's the devil, by the way. But look at what Paul says at the end of verse 4. Jesus died according to the will of God the Father. You see, Jesus' death wasn't something that God permitted. Mm -mm. Jesus' death was something that God willed. It was something that he willed. And no matter what way you take it, Jesus' death was an act of God through and through. But it was also an act of unobligated grace. That's why he said you are saved by grace. And not only that, right? Not only that, but you're saved by grace in this present evil age. You see, when Paul wrote this uh, as, a, as a Jew, he had two thoughts in his mind. In fact, the Jewish people had two thoughts. There's this age, and then there's the age to come. When Paul says this present evil age, he's talking about now and then. <laughs> he's talking about AD 40, and he's also talking about October 17th, 2021. You see, we are in the present age. The age to come is yet to come. Yeah? But this is what Paul is getting at. You're, you're rescued from sin and death and evil in, that's in this world, in this present evil age. Now, you very, now you very well uh, may deal with sin and death and evil in this world, but only for a short time. The war has been won. Christ is victorious. Christ has overcome sin, death, and the world. For you, if you are in Christ, your identity is not in this present evil age. No, you're a citizen of the age to come. You're a citizen of the kingdom. You're a child of God, rescued and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You got problems in life? Run to the king in prayer. You're struggling with sin? Run to the king in prayer. Feeling weighed down by the world? Run to the king with prayer. That's why Paul can say, to him be glory forever and ever, because he knows, Paul knows that he's been saved from this present evil age, and he can run to the king over and over and over again in prayer. He knows his identity. Paul knows who he is in Christ, and he knows that he has peace with God because of Christ. You see, Jesus died that we could have life in him. Yes, he did, but he also died that we might have peace with God. Peace knowing that we are no longer enemies of God. Peace knowing that we are friends. No, that we are sons and daughters of God. And peace knowing that whatever happens in life, God is there. Peace knowing that in this light momentary affliction, like Peter tells us in his, uh, in his letter, that we are being prepared for something greater. It's the peace knowing that whatever happens on October 17, 2021, whether vaccine mandates or vaccine passports or masks or no masks, to sing or not to sing, to gather or not to gather, conspiracy or truth or whatever we are dealing with in life, that we can have peace. We can have peace. And that's my second point. The gospel brings peace. The gospel brings peace. Check out verse three with me. This is what Paul says. Grace to you and peace 
from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of the challenges that I face as I read the Bible is actually slowing down. See, I'm a speed reader, admittedly. I, I tend to read through books pretty quick. And unfortunately, I take that into Scripture. But I need to learn to slow down. And I would encourage all of you to take some time to just percolate on five verses. That's all. You don't get to speed through it. But look at what Paul says in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God the Father. You see, in Paul's day, it was common to greet someone by saying, joy to you or, or grace to you or, or grace be with you. It was, it was a friendly greeting. And Paul capitalized on this when he wrote to the Galatians. In fact, in every letter of the New Testament, he uses some formulation of this phrase. But for, for Paul, he's not just being cultural here. It's not just be like, well, yeah, boys, that's not what he's doing, right? When he says grace to you, he's literally filled with this exuberant joy, knowing that he's been saved in this present evil age. He's reminded of the grace that was poured out on the cross of Calvary. So when Paul talks about grace, he's talking about God giving you what you don't deserve. Let me put it like this. If mercy is not giving you what you do deserve, wrath, then grace is giving you what you don't deserve. That's life. You see, what we do deserve is God's wrath. What we don't deserve is Christ taking that wrath upon himself in our place. But here's the kicker. He did. As much as we don't deserve it, God isn't obligated to give it. He doesn't owe us anything. It's not like we can ever stand before God and say, look, Lord, look what I did. Surely this is enough. No, that's not going to fly because we are saved by grace alone. And that's it. It's only about Jesus. It's not about us. Never forget, your salvation, if you are in Christ, came at an unbelievably high cost. The Lamb of God, Jesus, gave up his perfect, sinless life to save a bunch of wretched sinners like us, and that is how radical the gospel is. And Paul knew it. He knew firsthand how radical it was. He knew that it could change a man who worshipped the rules to a man who would worship the God who made the rules. It's no wonder that those who know this grace can sing amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you. This is why we sing. We don't sing for us or what we have done or what we can do for, for God. We sing because of Jesus and what he did. This is why Paul could say grace and peace to you. But again, look at verse 3. Not only is there grace, but there is peace. And when Paul greets the church in peace, he's reminding them that because of Christ, they are no longer enemies of God. More on that in a second. They're no longer enemies of God. You see, one of the tragedies in our culture is that many people believe that we are all God's children. You know, just straight up, that's unbiblical. Not everyone is a child of God. In fact, when you read John 1, people only become children of God when A, they receive Christ, B, they put their faith in him, and C, they accept this gift of grace. Here's what John the Apostle wrote in John 1. He says, he, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but all who did receive him he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. 
Those who weren't born not of natural descent or, or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. So as countercultural as this is, not everyone is a child of God. We're all created in his image, yes. Yes, we are all created in his image, but not all of us are children of God. In fact, listen to what Paul says when he wrote to the Romans. He says, for if while we were enemies, right? He doesn't say while we were children or friends or whatever. No, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled? Will we be saved by his life? This, my friends, is grace and peace. Grace saved us. Peace reconciles us. This is the free gift that we don't deserve. The only reason we can experience peace is because Christ reconciled us through his death to God. And that's it. That's it. This is why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest from your works. I will give you rest from thinking that you have to achieve. I will give you rest from thinking that you can live up to God's standards because you can't. You can't. My grace is all that you need. My grace is enough. My grace is sufficient in every aspect of your lives so that my death, my work, my sacrifice, my body, my blood, and my life give you peace because everything else won't. Martin Luther once said, grace releases sin and peace makes the conscience quiet. The two fiends that torment us the most are sin and conscience. But here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. Christ has vanquished these two monsters and trodden them underfoot, both in this world and in the world to come. So let me put it like this. When you've cheated on your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or, or whatever, when you've judged others based on looks or whether they're vaccinated or not, when you've blown up at your friends or your family or your kids, when, when you've dropped the ball and when you've went back on a promise or a commitment, know this, when sin wraps its fingers around you and your conscience condemns you, bring it to Christ. Bring it to Jesus. Exactly like Paul tells us in Philippians. Don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in who? In Christ Jesus. So when you read grace to you and peace from God the Father, don't just skip over it. Don't just skip over it. Soak in it. Be reminded of what Christ did. Meditate on what Christ did. Don't empty your thoughts. Fill your thoughts with what Christ did for you on the cross. His death, his burial, his resurrection brings peace. Peace of mind. Peace, of, peace with God and, and peace with each other. Because it all comes back to Christ. It's not about us. It's not about us. This is why we, like the Galatians, need to take heed of what Paul is saying here. We need to spend time, even in five verses, unpacking what Paul is saying about the gospel. This is my third point. The gospel is true. Again, I'll read verse one. This is what Paul says. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. 
And sorry, that was in the CSV version. Uh, you're, uh, you, if you're reading from a different version of the ESV, it might look different. Um, same point. But let me ask you something as, as I read that text. Who do you trust when it comes to your COVID information? Who do you trust when you're looking at what's happening in the world with COVID? Or better yet, why do you trust this person or this group or this organization? What is it about them that, you, that makes you trust them more than everyone else? Because there's always a reason why you're going to trust one source over the other. Whether it's because they have a lot of credentials, a lot of letters beside their name, or they have a lot of social media influence and affluence, or, or even, even if they align with your narrative of what COVID is and isn't. Because you always trust one source more than another. And this is exactly what Paul had to deal with in the, the, in, in the Galatian churches. He had one message, one truth, multiple points of view, and a ton of confusion. So when Paul starts off saying, Paul, an apostle, not from man or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, he means business. He's writing this to, to awaken the Galatian churches about what he's about to write. Right? The message he taught them, the gospel, is not from men or by men, but it's from Jesus Christ and God the Father, and verified by all the brothers who, he's, who are backing, who's affirming this message. Right? Starting off a letter like this and name-dropping the way that Paul does, it was huge. It'd be like this, okay? It'd be, it'd be like, let's say you are thinking about, oh, I don't know, tax evasion. Tax evasion's wrong, just for the record. Pay your taxes. But it's knowing that tax evasion is wrong, being told that it's okay to do it, and then doing it, and then getting a letter from the CRA saying that you're breaking the law and having all the signatures of the Minister of Finance, the Chief of Police, and a bunch of other officials at the bottom of it. So when Paul tells the Galatian churches that he was sent by God, he's asserting this sense of authority and urgency addressing what they're doing. But he's not just proving his authority. No, he's, he's asserting gospel authority over the situation. And that authority comes from none other but God. Right? But Paul is also taking a swipe at the false teachers of the day. And trust me, we have many, many, many false teachers in 2021, right? They usually, you know, talk a good talk. They, they have a good game. They, they sprinkle little bits of scripture just to make some weird, random, obscure point. And I mean, at best, they preach a message about living your best life now. And at worst, they, they teach that you could actually blow COVID out of existence. Yes, there's actually people who teach that. It's ridiculous. COVID is still here. COVID is still here. But the same thing here with Galatia. You have these false teachers, you know, roaming around, being all high and mighty because of their Jewish heritage, touting how awesome they were at keeping the Old Testament laws, and then teaching things that they had no point in teaching. I mean, this was such a controversial subject that the message got back to Jerusalem maybe hundreds or thousands of kilometers away, and a council had to be formed to basically say, yeah, no, that's not right. That's not the gospel. That's in Acts 15, if I remember correctly. So when Paul says that he's an apostle from God, you better believe that it carried weight. And don't forget, don't forget this. Paul witnessed the resurrected Christ. 
He was taught by the resurrected Christ, and he was commissioned by the resurrected Christ. So when he speaks, he speaks on behalf of the resurrected Christ and of God himself. This is why Paul can say in in no uh, short order, thus says the Lord. And you know what the Lord is wanting to say to the Galatian churches? And I'll even argue us here in 2021. You will never please God or find grace, peace, or life by entertaining legalism and checking a bunch of boxes. It's not going to happen. Here's what I mean. Okay, let me just unpack what I mean by legalism and checking a bunch of boxes. As I, uh, as I grew up, and, and many people have grown up uh, in, in Newfoundland and across Canada and, and the world, uh, they would have grown up in a system that taught you you must do A, B, and C in order to be right with God, in order to please God. You got to be baptized as a child. You got to have your, your confirmation, your first Holy Communion, your first act of confession. But when I became a believer, I realized that that isn't the gospel. It's not even biblical. And I get it. All right? I get it. Some of us never grew up in that system. Some of us are completely at peace knowing that their salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. But maybe, maybe for you, legalism is much more subtle. Maybe you've grown up believing or being taught that in order to be right with God, you couldn't ride your bike on a Sunday because somehow that's doing work and it's the Lord's day. But here's the irony. You couldn't ride bikes, but you could certainly press on a gas pedal to go get ice cream at McDonald's. I mean, it it makes no sense. Or maybe playing with cards and and like, you know, a deck of cards, right? That somehow the Lord disproves of of a little club or spade or heart or diamond. Maybe that's your legalism. Or, you know, miss any day of the year, but don't you dare miss Easter and Christmas. Or, man, you are definitely not right with God. And the list goes on. The list goes on. You see, there's always a reason why we do the things we do. The question is, the question is, do you do these things because you love God? Or maybe you want something from him, or you do them out of sheer obligation. And here's the difference. Okay? Here's the difference. Just imagine for a second that you're married. And if you're married, imagine that you're married. (laughs) So just imagine that you're all married and you have a spouse, okay? Uh, And, you know, uh, it's it's your wedding anniversary. On the way home from work, you pick up this beautiful dress for your wife. And I'm I'm probably, as I say this all the while, you're like, I want to let my husband pick up a dress for me. But that's besides the point. You pick up a dress for your wife on the way home. You've got seats reserved at your favorite restaurant. And maybe you even put on some cologne. You know, maybe, maybe you don't wear cologne and, and you're, you know, whatever. But you've gone the whole nine yards. And you get home and you tell her everything that you've done. And she's all excited and you're all spot, that you're, about your spontaneity. And, and, and when she asks why, you respond with, I just did it because it's our anniversary. And I felt, like, obligated because marriage and stuff. <laughs> right? Like, that, that, that's a buzzkill, right? Like, no. It, don't do it. <laughs> but this is the type of teaching that Paul uh, was hell-bent on eliminating because hell was the, uh, was the natural conclusion to this style of thinking. Because when you act out of obligation or because you want something, that's legalism. It will only ever be self-seeking. And the legalism that, that the Galatians were dealing with was circumcision. That's right, circumcision. I'm not going into the details about that, but just know that there are dudes walking around saying, you want to have your faith in Christ? Great, but you've got to get circumcised. 
that was the issue at hand. And, and as the Mile One Mission boys go through, you'll see uh, them unpack that uh, in chapter two and three. And this is, this is why Paul was so concerned to write to them, right? In fact, if you fast forward into chapter five, this is what Paul says, take note, I, Paul, kind of sounds similar to how he started off his letter. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all because that's legalism. In fact, he goes farther in another passage. He says, they should just go all the way. I'll leave that image in your head. And if anyone understood what legalism was, it would have been Paul. He lived, breathed, ate, slept, keeping all the Old Testament laws. And you know what his conclusion was? You know what his conclusion was? Romans 7, 7. I would not have known what sin was except through the law. And this is why he would write later on that the wages of sin is death because the gospel, the gospel based on faith alone and Christ alone is what breathes life. Following rules and laws will only lead to death. And that's the message Paul the Apostle taught to the churches, that life comes from the source of life himself, Jesus Christ. But just remember, as you, as you and as we work through Galatians, keep in mind that Paul wasn't just some random, obscure dude complaining about his disobedient kids playing in the street. No. This is a desperate plea of a parent watching his children walking off the trail and onto thin ice. The question is, for all of us, are you walking on thin ice? So where do we go from here? I think we're nearing, you know, 36-ish minutes. I believe that Galatians is just as relevant for, to, for today, for us in 2021, as it was for them in AD 40-ish. You know, as the boys unpack uh, this letter now over the next few months, they're really going to show why the gospel is full of life and peace and grace. But let me finish us off by saying this. If you're trying to be right with God in your own strength, just stop. Nothing and no one outside of Jesus can save you. If you're sitting here today all smug and proud like the Pharisee who said, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like those people, man, you gotta stop. Just stop it. You gotta repent of that and spend some time soaking in Galatians because that's exactly what Paul is writing against. But if you're sitting here thinking, man, Matt, that's exactly how I'm thinking. That's exactly what I'm doing, and, and I gotta change, then run to Christ. And know that he is more gentle and more patient with you than you can possibly know and understand. But if you do have this mindset, if you do believe that doing stuff will save you or please God, then do the only thing that God ever asks of you to do when you're considering coming to faith and trust in Christ right now, right now. Don't, don't think, oh, I gotta sort my life out or I, I gotta get right with this and that. No, no, you don't. Come to God right now. Let Jesus sort it out with you first. So stop trying to rest on what you can do and instead rest upon what Christ has done. You can never help grace Christ, so run to him in everything, everything. Because when you do, and I'm speaking from almost 20 years experience. 
you will only ever find true life and true peace in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time, Lord, to unpack even just the introduction of this beautiful letter. Thank you for using Paul to speak on such an important subject, Lord. Would you forgive us, Father, when we try to add on to the finished work of Christ, when we try to save ourselves, Lord. Teach us, Father, be patient with us when we try to do this. And remind us ever so gently that it's not about us, it's about Jesus. It's all about you, Christ. This is why we sing to you. This is why we praise you. This is why we worship you. Because it's about you. So thank you that on that cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus, you died for us. I pray that as we go into the week, Lord, we would just sit and think about that. That we would sit and think and dwell upon the grace that was poured out that's available to all of us, but the great cost by which it came. Lord, we love you. I pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.